Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Good evening everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Stargate Archives. This episode was recorded quite a while back. One of our Gatecast regulars joined me on this new Stargate podcast. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's been a while. It has been. It's been, what, a couple months or so? Maybe a little longer? Probably a lot longer than that. I seem to recall a brief comment on the Gatecast website saying how disappointing it was there was going to be no more Gatecast. And, well, we've got something more. That's good. <laughs> First time on the archives, as I said. Uh, you've never even listened to the podcast as of yet. Not yet. That is correct. I plan to rectify that here soon, though. Yeah, the beauty of this is that it's just a discussion of the episode in question. And in that regard, tonight's episode is going to be Solitudes, one of Thomas's favorites. It is, indeed. Solitudes is Season 1, Episode 18, written by Brad Wright and directed by the great Martin Wood, who uh, directed well over 70 episodes of Stargate SG-1 Atlantis. Staples of the genre. Very much so. Right, we'll jump straight in. Solitudes opens up with the classic MGM line and the gate room. We get a close-up of the Stargate, incoming Traveller, Walter. Walter's front and centre in this episode, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's quite a few times in the scene. Brian, really. Uh, we only get used to him being popping up every now and again for 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there, but this is a Walter episode. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he has a name by this point. He's still just a gate technician, I believe. Yes, Walter, Harriman, and Davis, and all sorts of names here. He had in the <laughs> early seasons. Uh, he confirms it's the SG-1 code, then the gate starts to behave Erratically, the event horizon is fluctuating and rippling. Power is being drawn at twice the usual rate. It doesn't look good. Yeah, there's an audible wind-up. You hear electrical whine going on, and then you see explosions. Which is not really a good thing when you're using a piece of alien technology you do not quite understand. Yeah. Of course, I think this is still early enough on that they can get away with well, something happened that we don't know what's going on because Sam hasn't figured it all out yet. Everything pretty much ends up being Sam's responsibility to figure out and explain in simple terms for Jack to understand. Mm-hmm. She's got to be one of the smartest people on the entire planet, A, to be able to figure it out, and then B, to dumb it down to Jack's level. Oh, yeah, that's the key. You've got to be able to explain your chosen profession to a five-year-old. If you can do that, then you fully understand what you're uh, talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Right, the capacitors on the gate explode. We get a couple of people flung through the gate, Tilk, and we know it's Daniel, but we don't really get a close-up view of him. Tilk, of yeah. course, he, he handles the premature ejection from the wormhole much better than Daniel does. He's on his feet. General Hammond is in the gate room straight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tilk must have a bit better of a constitution than Daniel does. Daniel's still weak and frail at this time. Yeah. Tilk is convinced that Sam and Jack were right behind them. He doesn't, doesn't understand why they didn't come through the Stargate. And then we cut to a very nice map painting of a cavern. Looks like it's made of ice. Yeah. Don't know how much of it was actual practical set they built in map painting. I'm assuming everything past the gate is going to be map painting. Yep. 
Now, do you know if that was the traveling gate that they used for this, like the old gate, or is this one they just matted in? I think at this point that that was like like li- liable to be the actual prop. It doesn't seem to you need to go to the expense of a CGI gate at this point. Mm-hmm. But I would love to have seen these scenes in high definition. With you know, to be honest, it does look fake. You compare this to something they did on Universe. Oh yeah, well it's what ten, fifteen years earlier. Oh yeah, of course. But that's what I'm saying. I'd I'd really like to see this episode made today. What they could do with this cave. A lot more natural light filtering in, possibly, you know, make it more shiny. It is ice after all, it shines. Jack unconscious on, on the ground. Sam is uh, moving about. Groggy, of course. Obviously, they've both been flung out the gate. She gets on her feet. She's looking around. Doesn't look good. And credits. Right, we return from the credits in the infirmary. Daniel is in one of the hospital beds, still unconscious. Till seems to be okay, explaining that they came under weapons fire surprising really you know they normally send them out through that's fairly good reconnaissance in the device it makes you wonder if there was some malfunction or the people on, on this other world are a bit paranoid and well they realize that wait until people come through before you start shooting well considering what you see later on in the episode i'm not sure maybe they just weren't there at that time this is one question that we will never find an answer to nope i wonder if they locked this kid out of the address book damn big warning sign against it anyway Walter comes in more screen time for Gary Jones yay yeah carrying a clipboard uh, the gate's damaged it's gonna need some serious repairs no way they can return to the planet to do any searching for Jack or Sam even though Tilk really really wants to yep unfortunately at this point we don't have any spaceships so bugger all we can do about it I was going to say, the infirmary is a pretty common set piece. I can't remember what all sets they had permanently made. Was it was this also the same set as the conference room? Just they re, retooled it, or is it an actual different set? This is a gate room redress, if memory serves. I wouldn't put money on it, though, but it's definitely not one of the standing sets. Okay. It doesn't have the ceiling of the gate room. You can work wonders, can't you, really? We know that. <laughs> yeah. Right, we're back in the... Ice cave. Jack is finally waking up. Yep. yep. <laughs> he's not. He's not happy. His leg broken. Most definitely. Yes. Definitely not in Kansas anymore. Yep. They made it was Dwarf's reference there. Bothered me right through this episode. Is Sam wearing a wig? Is Amanda wearing a wig? I don't know. I'm, I remember in the Gatecast we talked a lot about the uh, Carter product of hairline. The moose. Oh, yes, the moose. You know how it never moves. I don't know if it is a wig or not. There are some side views. It really does look artificial. It looks very different from what we used to. But uh, as you as you say, area styling and product use did constantly change a while. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of TV shows have that problem in exactly how they want to present their female leads. Most of the time, they get it wrong before they finally get it right. Well, take a look at Marina Sirtis in The Next Generation. They went through how many different iterations of her look throughout the series. Yeah, same with Taylor as well in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Jack obviously uh, looks around. Where's the DHD? We've got a good okay. question. <laughs> the, the two are normally part of a package. Suspicious large lump of ice nearby, it has to be said, though. Yes. Now, and, and that got me to thinking after this, I think we might have discussed this in the actual uh, gate cast. Typically, if there is a DHD attached to a gate, that DHD overrides any other possible gate around, correct? Yeah, DHD has priority. So, being as this, as we come to find out here, for long is on Earth, why then isn't this DHD that's attached to the gate the priority gate? 
That is an interesting question. <laughs> I wonder, we learn that the symbols are different, although I think Daniel says, or maybe Sam says, they both represent Earth, but maybe there's, you know, in the coding, there's one digit difference in the 100 digit address, the digital format. Well, as they come up with later on in the episode saying, you know, what happens when you try dialing your own phone number, you know, it's still not dialing out, though. So there's got to be something, since it's at the same point of origin. I wonder if this gate has never, perhaps because the DHD has been under ice so long, it's never been regularly updated. You know, as we learn, the network actually has constant updates. Maybe this is mm. just out of sync. Possibly. And when Sam finally gets it working, it all reconnects again. That's where we we get the issues with which device takes priority. Yeah. And then how do they keep it from having priority after they unbury it? Do they, like, separate the DG halfway across the country? Remove one of the crystals. Ah. <laughs> Unplug it. <laughs> right, so we jump back to Cheyenne Mountain, then go into the gate room. And is this the first time we see Siler, or have we seen him before? I'm not sure, because in my SG-1 rewatch, I've jumped half a dozen episodes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, we see Walter. He is he's hands-on. He's not just uh, sitting in, in the control room. This is where he earns the tag technician. He's yeah. actually repairing it, and Siler's there. And used to seeing Siler with the big wrench, you know, the hands-on mechanic of uh, Cheyenne Mountain. He's coming out with dialogue which shows he's got a firm grasp of some of the physics behind the gate. He's definitely not just a wrench monkey. He's got a bit of brain to him. Yeah, so when we get the uh, the Captain Kirk and Scotty moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll take me 24 hours. You've got 12. No, sir, it'll take me 24 hours. It'll take that long. Trust me, I'm not exaggerating, dude. No. I imagine if any engineer who's got a reasonably good relationship with his commanding officer at some point to try that. <laughs> Once you get caught on it, you can never use it again. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, Scotty never did. One of the running gags, at least in the novels, is that he never admitted to doing it. He always exaggerated his time frame. Yeah. Come to think of it, it could have been mentioned in the TNG episode, Relics. Mm-hmm, it was. Was it? Ah, right. I actually just recently finished a rewatch of the series, and I remember that he was telling the Forge to never tell him exactly how long it takes. You know, exaggerate that way, you become to be called a miracle worker. He's right. Again, you, you need a commanding officer who's... Who probably knows you're padding things out a bit, especially if he's more of a hands-on commander as well. Mm-hmm. Right, we jump back to the cave. Sam is splinting Jack's leg. And the grief you can see in Jack's face is palpable. Oh, yes. Fortunately, he got enough material around to make a splint. Probably stuff out of their backpacks, because I don't think ice would hold. No. It'd be interesting to see exactly what they uh, carry on a normal mission, duct tape and extras like that. They probably have, like, some tent stakes that they could use. They're going to be probably long enough and straight enough to use as splints. Hopefully they've learned from the Nox not to leave everything on the map. Yes. And this is where Jack points out that he knows what a broken leg feels like. It's not the first time he's broken some bones. Sam asks how many, and he comes up with a figure of nine, if you count skull fractures or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this is where he, it seems really open up to Sam in regard to... You know, who he is and actually lets down the walls and becomes vulnerable. Well, yeah, openly admitting that he was parachuting into the Iran-Iraq border in the 80s. You know, American military, that, yeah, as you said, that was an unsanctioned mission. Yeah, that's straight up black ops. <laughs> yeah. Whatever his mission was, it didn't get done because he had to crawl out of the country uh, with a broken leg before he got picked up. He did it successfully. Very competent officer. He's a survivor, that's for certain. He is, yeah. 
they've got three days supplies in the kit they've got some batteries flashlights jack starts complaining about his butt freezing <laughs> <laughs> well if he's been if he's been laying there as long as he has i'm sure it would be yeah some nice music in this scene as well i thought yeah i meant to see who the tra- soundtrack joel Riley did the vast majority didn't do every episode in the first season Right, a quick look at IMDb. This episode has music credited to Richard Band, Joel Goldsmith, and Kevin Kiner. A mishmash. Yeah. I know Richard did a lot of the season one music, because I've got his soundtrack album. Please, MGM, release Joel Goldsmith's SG1 oh, yeah. and Atlantis music and Universe music in a nice CD box set, just oh, digitally. Yes. There's money to be made. There's money to be made with a lot of sci-fi classics, B5 being one. Yes, indeed. Although, I had to admit, I couldn't justify buying the Babylon 5 encyclopedia that's being offered at the moment. Haven't seen that yet. Is it just a big old book full of stuff? Yeah, it is, but you also get digital version. It looks great. Huge reference source, but expensive and too expensive for me. Yeah. Now, if it came with a digital copy of the entire series, yeah, I could probably do that. Oh, episodes as well. Yeah. Yeah, that would make it <laughs> worth it. Yeah, I know Alan always goes on about the, the rights and with Warner Brothers, how they treated it. But you think, you know, they've got content that is popular in a niche market. Make the most of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can criticize MGM for how they're packaging Stargate Origins, but at least they're doing something. Yeah. Right, let's jump back to this episode. <laughs> We're back in the infirmary. Daniel is awake and conscious. Tilt visits him, lays down the bad news. Yep, no Sam, no Jack. I'm not sure this is what Daniel was expecting. Uh, it's not going to bring about his uh, his recovery very fast, but it'll be up and yeah. about in no time. Oh, always. They never get truly injured forever in this series. Yep. Daniel's also sporting a very wavy hairdo. He had long hair, if I recall. His version of the Carter products. <laughs> Back to the cave. Sam finds the DHD. It's buried in a huge block of ice. Oh, yeah. And they actually looked pretty good like ice on top of it. Did they actually use that or is that a practical effect? I know they've used real ice before, mainly when they've been able to shoot it, because nothing looks like ice mm-hmm. except for ice when you do a practical effect. And when Sam's hacking away at it with a knife, it's, it certainly looks apart. And, of course, if you've got a decent sound stage, then you get in the full audio effects as well. Yeah. I'd expect probably 90% of it is prop and then a layer of ice on top of it. Yeah. My only complaint that I really noticed the entire episode when they're here in the cave, there wasn't enough misty breath, you know, that that (laughs) cold air breath. And you would think being inside a glacier, it's going to be cold. Therefore, I wouldn't be fogging up the entire room with my breath. Yes, you would have thought so. They've talked about that before in later episodes and on Atlantis as well. At some point, they got a refrigerated truck and built a little set in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, other times, they've actually physically reduced the temperature of the whole soundstage, so it goes uh, to close to zero. Sometimes just adding a bit of CGI to mm-hmm. create the breath. But it, it was something that I thought was missing from this entire episode. They needed that more just to bring in a little more peril to it, because we know it's cold then, not just, oh, look, they're in ice. It's actually ice. I wonder if they held off, because if it was obviously that cold, you'd think they might even not live that long. Mm-hmm. Jack, especially, was not doing any moving around. You'd think hypothermia, it'd be a popsicle within 12 hours. Oh, yeah. Well, take a look at Continuum and the ice scene with the ship there. It 
made it a lot more perilous, you know, just seeing the, the breath and, you know, knowing that, hey, if we just sit here, we're, we're going to freeze. Yeah. Ronald Jacks, once again, complaining of chest pains. He's hurt a lot more critical than a simple broken leg. Not surprising if he got flung out that gate right into a ice wall. Yeah, well, it seems like he took the brunt of the damage over everyone because, I mean, Teal's fine, Sam's fine, Daniel, maybe a slight concussion. But other than that, Jack's the one that got really injured this entire episode. Yeah, well, if you say running through the gate at a slight angle, even though you're expecting to come out the gate to the side in control, uh, obviously, if you're not, then you're going either straight off the ramp or straight into the uh, the local structures. Yeah, he could have hit the block of ice that the DHD is in if he came out <laughs> yeah. at an angle. Yeah, very easily. Jack, however, his mind is still running. Thoughts are still clear. He's come up with the idea that there are three possible results of what's happened. Sam came up with those of where they were. Sam figured out where or what could have happened that could have caused oh, it. Oh, that's right. Jack asked for a fourth, didn't he? Yes. He's like, there's always a fourth. Not in this case. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're either here someplace, they're either on Earth, or they're somewhere else. So. Mm-hmm. And then she goes into a high-end mathematical gush of vocabulary. And that's where most people would tone out. <laughs> yeah, especially Jack. Yes. Who is actually surprisingly intelligent and does not play that he is. I think he's learnt in the field that it pays to let an opponent think you are dumber than you are than you really are. Mm-hmm. Let them have their own view of you, and while well, you know what's going on, of course, you've got to make sure that you don't carry that over to them as well. Mm-hmm. Right, back in the gate room, as it's Isla working on MX-43, whatever that is. But it's uh, being tested at 40%, everything checks out. Move it up to 100%, that checks out. The gate, great, uh, the gate, the gate is ready to go. Yep, he tests all the circuit breakers and everything looks like it charges fully, so we're good to go. Nice practical effect with the lighting dimmer and brighter and brighter as it charges up. Yep, Tilk, who has been patiently waiting, has probably had his kit on for the, for the last few hours. I don't know if I could call him patient with this. He's almost like he's stopping at the bit. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be teamed up with SG3. The Marines? Uh, yeah, one of the combat units. But first, General Hammond is insistent there's going to be a probe sent through, which is only practical. Of course, it didn't help him the last time. Mm-hmm. Off it goes through the gate, five-second transit, a bit of a callback to the original movie. Yeah, they haven't gotten around to using the aerial UAVs yet, which I think in this case would have been probably the better thing to do. Yeah, or a very long pole with a white flag on the end. <laughs> if they did it on a pole, it wouldn't wave because it'd still be in transit because it's not all the way through. <laughs> yeah, I know, yet, so. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would say it turns out that there are some people who just do not want visitors. Uh huh. It almost looked like staff blasts, but there was a lot of them. Yeah. It's an interesting landscape. It looks incredibly fake. Mm hmm. Columns, stone, monoliths going into the distance. Obviously some weapon encampment behind one or two of them. It'd been interesting to see what this looked like from above. What sort of pattern or anything this actually created. Sort of like a Stonehenge type thing? Yeah. Were they just laid out? You know, you'd think maybe Greek ruins, but it looked like it was intact. That was how it was supposed to look. Yeah, sort of like the um, columns around uh, Tudelac Gate and whatnot, and you had their in strategic spots or in, in particular places like a, a worship area type thing. Yeah. Or maybe it, they were built their defensive positions. You know, only troops have come through before. The natives have realized this is the best way to uh, take out anybody that comes through the gate. Mm-hmm. 
brief moment, they won't have any cover. Yeah, through that. Although it doesn't explain how Daniel managed to dial back while under fire. Well, and, and that's where the other D being on the gate or on the planet earlier and not being attacked, you know, they came through, started exploring, and hey, there's people here, they're not happy with us, let's run away. Yeah. So it wasn't an immediate attack like it is with this Malp. I'll say, maybe they gave him a bit of a warning at the start, you know, a bit of far over the heads, lads, right? That's got them going. Mm. Bob and Bob, you stay here. If they come back, just put a few shots in them. We will never know. That is true. Meanwhile, back at the cave, drink your soup. <laughs> ice melt, a bit of... I make a good ice melt soup. <laughs> I assume it's some sort of a ration packet that just gives it a bit of nutrients, a bit of flavour. Doesn't look like it's actual broth or anything like that. I could have dropped a bullion cube or something like that. Yeah. At this point, Sam is stunningly intelligent, as you say, and she leaps pretty much to this energy spike theory. Mm-hmm. you just got to sit back and admire the way that Sam just lets all this flow out of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> she locks onto an idea and it just blossoms. She can explain the entire science of it probably before McKay could. Yeah, if you're lost, then you really want Sam looking for you. Mm-hmm. Problem is, of course, when Sam's off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's face it, in the fifth race, if it wasn't for an eventful turn of luck or opportunity, Sam probably would not have come out of that episode alive. Mm-hmm. When she's not around to actually dissect the gate and come up with theories, it takes a bit of a miracle. Now, you're talking about fifth race or Tormund Tantalus? Fifth race, where... Okay, yeah. Right, back in the control room. Tilk is on a bit of a downer. He's bringing everybody down. <laughs> it's a very yeah. small, very short scene. Talking about Tilk being down, the first scene when he's there in the infirmary, he has like the biggest of scowls on his entire face. I mean, he couldn't frown any more than he could at that point. I mean, it almost <laughs> looks painful. I'd say he's, he's not known for smiling much, but he can look stern and depressed and uh, mm, threatening mm-hmm. with the best of them. But when he's upset... He, <laughs> <laughs> he emotes upset quite well. Yeah. Back in the cave, the ice shipping is going very well, right down to the upper surface of the DHD, and she sees the body of a serpent guard as well. So if it's a serpent guard, then therefore it's Apophis that came through here previously, correct? It would seem so, yeah. That is his symbol. Yeah, it's kind of hard to see exactly the symbol on the screen, but if she said serpent guard, I'm, I'm believing it's Apophis's troops. If she wasn't sure of an identification, you'd think she'd just say there's a Jafar. Yeah. More generic term, or else the writers just kind of missed that and just went with Serpent God. I don't even know if we really came up with other titles for any of the other, like the Horus Guard or anything of that nature. I think it was, it was just the Serpent Guards and everybody else were just Jafar. We're back in the control room. Uh, as Thomas said earlier, this episode does jump back and forth between these two locations very, very quickly. It becomes very evident when you're talking about it or making notes. In fact, there are mm-hmm. some scenes where you haven't got time to make notes before it's jumped back. <laughs> so, <laughs> that... Pause, right, pause, unpause. <laughs> that is true. I was doing that actually myself. Here we are, control room. Daniel and Scyther are pretty much uh, running through their possibilities of what's happened. Mm-hmm. This is where you really see Styler's intelligence come into play because he's pulling off the same type of leaps that Sam does. It's something we don't see in the future. Mm-mm. If you want something big, although to be fair, he, he does some serious, intricate mechanical work, but you always do get the impression he is, as you said, the more the hands-on, rip something apart and rebuild it, not actually sit down and maybe design a control system or something like that. 
exactly. He's he's not a designer. He's the actual builder. Yeah. He's the hands-on, and you don't typically see the the level of intelligence like you see here with somebody of the the building. It's more of the designing. But he does come up with some good ideas. He does. We're in the cave. Sam realizes that, well, at least identifies what she believes is the point of origin symbol, different from what's on our well our Stargate. Mm-hmm. Kept trying to figure out what the symbol might reference because like the earth symbol it's the as we learned later on the the at symbol by the ancients we think it's pyramid with the sun above it yeah well, this one it's a ball with a line on the side what could it represent so i've been figuring anything on that if somebody drew a horizontal line with that sort of oval above it circle above it you think it's a it's just on a horizon or something mm-hmm. a new world something like that you know recently discovered yeah mean anything <laughs> this was where atlantis was so it's yes possible yeah, that you know mankind sprung out of here so I, I guess we could say you know new life out of that the ancients were an enigmatic bunch when it came to anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's another thing we're just gonna have to let go fortunately the batteries have died not surprising they've been in pretty much constant use we get a nice music cue as some um, attempts to dial the gate so how long would you say has gone by now in the time span? Three days? Four days? Well, they still had food, and they said they had three days of rations. Which they could extend. They probably could. It depends, as you say. It might be the food stuffs might be limited to the point where you can't really split it any further than it's made. You know, it's not the modern military rations, which are pretty much anything you want these days. Mm. <laughs> With inbuilt heating elements and all sorts of things. Funny, they all taste like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Freeze-dried chicken. I wouldn't argue if it, if it were three days. Maybe a bit longer. At least it's long mm. enough for Daniel to recover and be on his feet. Yeah, and we know it took Tyler 24 hours to get the gate back up. Yeah, there's no way Janet would let Daniel run about if he'd had a concussion and it wasn't at least a couple of days. Yeah. Obviously, the gate doesn't work. Some of the symbols do light up, but it doesn't fully engage. Yeah, you hear the the gate like powering up. You know, it's ready, and then she hits the button and just winds down, you know, the classic build-up, build-up, and then stops. Yeah, it's almost as if the gate's laughing at you. (laughs) We look at the ancients, and they built incredible technologies. But the fact that the DHD and the gate can pull energy from somewhere and last for millennia, Yeah. that is probably... We know the ZPM pulls energy from a different universe. We know the ancients really went for the an energy bridge between universes using the different potentials of the universes to generate energy but the gate doesn't have anything like that yet it still remains powered mm-hmm. and it's a technology older than the zpms we would think yes i would have thought so as well maybe the zpm was the portable version after another couple of hundred years of uh, research or even thousands of years of research yeah the gate could actually pull energy out of the magnetic field of the planet it's housed on. It literally absorbs photons from the sun. Anything. It's just, it's impossible to explain how it does it without going sci-fi, except that it does it. Yeah. <laughs> Briefing room, no results from the final planet that Daniel actually believed. That they could have gotten lost to, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. He came up with a, a number of planets along the passage of the wormhole. Yeah. As we learn later on, of course, there are more gates that we don't know about in the network all across the galaxy. And I believe also it was mentioned at one point that the gates that we know about 
are being popped out from the calculations based off of the map there on Abydos. So surely there's not every gate that could have been in the area. Yeah, the database is definitely ongoing. But I suppose you've got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like the general says, he's listening as MIA. That doesn't mean we're just going to stop looking for him, but there comes a point where you can't keep allocating manpower. Yeah. We jump back to the cave, and Jack and Sam are snuggling a bit. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately <laughs> for Jack, Sam is leaning on his broken leg. Yeah. Well, no, she's leaning on his broken ribs. Oh, was it ribs? Yeah, it was his ribs she was leaning on. Ah, right. And then there's the, um, it's my sidearm comment. Oh, Colonel. It's my sidearm, I swear. <laughs> no giggling, please. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, it's my sidearm, I swear. Yeah, it's still good to know they've got a sense of humor, at least. Yes. Nice little scene that was. Mm-hmm. Lay down to take a bit of a nap. Now, at some point, you've got to. Of course, the, the danger is you, you'll never wake up again. Mm-hmm. Especially with it being that cold. Yeah. Back in the control room. The little montage, just wordlessly looking at the gate and you know, things going on while this music's playing. We get first Daniel just going from room to room, the general looking pensive, and then the montage kicks in. Little scenes with Walter. The episode was always going to get montage. Mm-hmm. It works well. It shows, again, time is passing. They're not giving up. They're still working. They're looking worse and worse for Sam and Jack. If, it, if they weren't the stars of the show, you'd be seriously worried. Oh, yeah. It's a good way to write out a couple of characters if necessary. Yeah, it's been done before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, back in the cave, Carter loses it a bit. <laughs> yeah, she's pissed off a little bit. Why won't you work? <laughs> yeah, she's starting to take it a bit personally. She's probably just as much mad with herself. She believes she should be able to fix this problem. The DHD is there. Nothing is obviously broken about it. Yes, it's been under her eyes for a while, but there's power... It should work. Yeah. Now, this is where I have light problem with Carter's intelligence. If he knows it's not working to dial Earth, why not, just for the testing's sake, try dialing a different gate? A different one that they know is good, like try Chulak or, you know, some other planet that they know has, you know, a safe harbor, per se. Go there, see if that works. So, you know, it's not an issue necessarily just with the gate. Yeah. The planet in Broca Divide. Yeah. You know, they've made friends with those people. They'd be safe there. No worries there. I'm not sure we have an official alpha site at this point. No. That would have been me, you know, doing my testing with computers and such. You know, if it doesn't do it this way, let's try this way and see if it works. And we know that we've eliminated the possibility of this part being broken versus this. I wonder if basically it's just the exhaustion taking its toll. Possible. Three days or so to get to the point where she can actually run the DHD. The very fact that she's losing her temper shows she's not thinking rationally. Yeah. Jack, who we come to rely on, Jack just pointing out, you know, why don't you just dial another gate? You can almost picture that in a normal episode where Daniel's mm-hmm. totally confused and Jack's saying, well, dial somewhere else then. Exactly. And Daniel just looking at him and going, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and then doing it and Jack looking smug. Yeah, like Jack once again saves the day. She apologising to Jack as well. There's a limit, Sam. You can't take everything on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. No matter how good you are, sometimes you fail. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, it's just a blood capsule that he put in his mouth and spit out, but it, it actually looks like he's coughing up blood in the scene. Oh, broken ribs. He, he's done damage. It's it's going to oh, take yeah. his toll, certainly now, even if he's not moving. you got to admit, it's surprising he has lasted this long. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they had abundant supplies and 
they were already kitted out for cold weather gear. They would still be pushing it, being trapped in this ice cave for so long. Oh, yeah. Right, we're back in the gate room. Tilt comes through the gate carrying a wounded soldier who <laughs> who was in the cave and slipped. Okay. <laughs> Do you think you'll get a purple heart for that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> uh, probably not. It was, it was just an accident. Yeah, this is where General Hammond pretty much says that's it. That was, I mentioned it before we started, Thomas. Sometimes you get places mixed up. This is where the general says this is the last planet on the list. Mm. we're not going to be looking for them anymore. Yeah. And it's understandable. If if you start even carelessly getting injuries and you're still pretty much guessing, you know, walking around in the dark, there's no point risking personnel at this point. Yeah, that's true. It's not something Tilk or Daniel wants to hear. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Right, Sam eventually decides the old, I know, I'll switch the DHD off and then back on again. Everybody who's owned a PC... A DVR. Electronic period. <laughs> anything these days, yeah, exactly anything. Knows the secret to repairing stuff is to switch it off and switch it back on again. It's amazing how many times that works. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as if the whole industry writes crap code. <laughs> Don't get Alan started. He'll go off on Mac and <laughs> Windows. <laughs> Sam dials again. We get the tremor. Cut to Daniel in the gate room. There's a tremor. We know something. This is where the audience is letting on the little secret. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's more of a tremor this time in the gates, not necessarily in the gate room itself, but in the gate down in Antarctica than there was in the previous time she tried dialing the gate. Yes, so there was. I wonder what the difference is when she reset it versus the original time. Was it the original residual power she had put in the first time she dialed it? Or just to play on the story? I wouldn't disagree if somebody says maybe whatever the dhd or the gate users for capacitors have refilled themselves a bit there's more power flowing through the system Mm -hmm. there was enough power before to light up all the chevrons and maybe just enough to begin the wormhole sequence now maybe it went a little few percent further got a little you know a little bit more aggressive and that's where we get the fallout literally really because you start getting showered with ice as well yeah is it Daniel who says we've ruled out all worlds except one? Well, it cuts back real fast back to this cave again. Sam is upset and pissed off again. And that didn't work. And then it swaps back to Daniel figuring out, hey, we left somewhere to place out. Credit to Daniel for putting two and two together. Oh, yeah. But it's him remembering back to the movie and the amount of vibration that the gate originally had when it first was dialed up. Because I remember a phone bouncing across the desk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At that point, perhaps only Jack and Daniel would be fully aware of that. Mm-hmm. Even before Tilk went on actual missions, because he was kind of quarantined for a month or so, they'd put in place a dampening vibration dampness. Which makes me wonder, what exactly are they did they put in there that is dampening that much vibration? Or did they just put big docks on it? If this base was designed to withstand a nuclear attack, they would be built on springs. Hmm. But why don't the gates on, like, the other plants that are stuck in the, uh, you want to call them altars or whatever, you know, that they're the bases that they're set on, why don't those gates seem to bounce around or anything? Is there a shock absorbers built into that? Well, maybe some of them are on the plinth, so that could be a difference. And maybe having proper mated DHC to it also makes a difference. So why did the gate in Antarctica, which we would think would be on the plinth and have the DHD, why is it bouncing around and shaking as much as it is? Feedback from having two gates on the planet. Eh, Fair enough argument. 
I'm reaching. I know. <laughs> Fair enough argument. <laughs> <laughs> it just a little nitpicker thing comes out, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get that, no question at all, with every TV and every movie. Once you start seeing... Ever listen to the Minute by Minute podcast? No, I haven't. You'd think it was impossible to take a two-hour movie and watch one minute at a time and have anything to say about it. But most of them managed to talk for half an hour on one minute. <laughs> Why? Because you've got to be able to pick everything apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you've had 18, 20 seasons of Stargate overall and what they say in the future applying back to the past, eh, you start poking holes in things. You do. Right, Jack, back in the cave, he's still holding on. Sam is uh, a little perplexed about what's going on. At this point, Jack calls for plan B. Sam's got to leave the cave, try to make a break for it, find out. Wouldn't it be embarrassing if 100 yards from climbing the cave, uh, there's a settlement or something? As they say later on, it's a little outside of McMurdo, so... Mind you, 10 miles in the Antarctic is... (laughs) You must (laughs) must be 100, really. Yeah. She leaves one of the radios in Jack's hand. I don't know if that's to... uh, kind of give her some comfort or jack yeah lovely heartfelt goodbye from jack here yeah or so for that that's where sam really has a goodbye there and then off he goes to climbing yeah fortunately there is a rather climbable eye structure otherwise you wouldn't be getting out of this cabin at all yeah a little tunnel back in the briefing room daniel comes up with the second stargate theory after all... <laughs> Turns to Teal and says, what happens when you dial your own phone number? Wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny. And I, I love it. Hammond is decisive. You get a dial tone. You, know, you get a busy signal. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, he, he said it with such conviction as well. You get a busy signal. Very soul caught fire. He figured out what Daniel is, what avenue he's going down. Yeah. And now I hate to say it, but today, someone that you know hasn't really used a non-call waiting, non-cell phone, <laughs> would have no clue what the answer is either. You know, yeah. someone younger would not have a clue because nowadays, you know, I call somebody on my cell phone, it rings, 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 and then goes to their voicemail. Yeah. You know, where if you if you did it back in the day, yeah, it would be the signal. Yeah, the passage of time is destroying so many plots of so many TV movies. Mm-hmm. You watch an old movie now and you think, if you had a cell phone, this movie would be done by now. <laughs> you know, they're in the middle of the desert, you know, and just walking around, got no communication because they're looking for a payphone somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, I'm lost out in the middle of the forest. Oh, look, GPS on my phone. Let's go. Exactly. Points out that Raw was uh, not the first Stargate user. The Gaul did not invent the Stargate system. That was uh, the ancients. Yeah, and we've had people from older civilizations the Norse, for example, you know, out and about throughout the galaxy. So why couldn't we have a second gate here? Especially if purposes as of yet revealed it, it was buried or hidden. If the gold were looking for a world and they came across Earth... Why don't they try to subjugate it? Why don't they just steal people from it and go? Why don't they subjugate it through the second gate? Yeah. No, that's for a different discussion. <laughs> <laughs> that can be a whole long one on itself. It could, yeah. Stargate Origins. <laughs> <laughs> Next scene is the cave. This is where Jack, it was an honor serving with you. Mm-hmm. Very brief scene again, back in the control room. The idea that if there's a second gate, it would have to be hidden. It would have to be in a part of the world that was totally underdeveloped. Yeah. Middle of the jungle, obviously the North or South Poles. Daniel records a time from the movie when the gates used to shake so incredibly violently. Would it be picked up on a seismograph? Yes, it would. 
let's look for a seismic event. And they find two. One same time Daniel saw it, and one whenever he gate malfunctioned. Fortunate that, but it mm-hmm. does pretty much guarantee that they're on the right path. Unlike Sam, who uh, actually uh, gets to the mouth of the cavern, lots of daylight, he pokes her head out, and ice and snow for as far as you can see. Yeah, it's definitely on the actual, it's not on the ice shelf, it's actually on the main continent itself and on the land part of Antarctica, which would make sense. I say they've identified the location of the second gate. Is it the General McMurdo uh, station? Pretty close. Yeah, I think it said 50 miles outside McMurdo or something like that. Close enough for a quick helicopter flight anyway. Yeah. At this point, Sam heads back into the cavern. She probably realises there's pretty much no point going anywhere. Uh, she slips, she slides, wee down uh, the ice slide. Surprised she didn't injure herself. Yeah, she's very fortunate. Jack is there, he's minutes away from dying, certainly looks it. Mm-hmm. Or at least unconsciousness from hypothermia. Yep. Sam kind of pulls herself up against him, and he just whispers Sarah. And she plays along. Yep. Colonel. Earlier in the episode, he said that's how he kind of survived his broken leg in the Middle East. He had his wife to go back to. He says, I'm here, Jack. They kind of just settled down, pretty much to die there. And then you get the helicopter. Teams rappelling down. Mm-hmm. I remember when we covered this in the Gatecast, we pointed out the fact that what the hell are Tilk and Daniel and the General doing there? That fast, especially. If they got a supersonic jet to McMurdo, Jack and Sam could have froze to death in the time it took them. To delay the helicopter. Uh-huh. I've traveled from Arkansas to Italy before, and that was like a 12-hour flight. Well, from Atlanta to Italy there, your 10-hour flight there. So traveling from Colorado to Antarctica, yeah, you're looking at least 12 to 15-hour flight. Yeah, at least one stop along the way as well, because they probably wouldn't have full-size airstrip at Momento. No, they probably would have had to land like a C-130 or something like that. I know it looks great. The boys are coming to the rescue, but... It doesn't fit in. They should have probably met him at McMurdo as they were brought back. But if they did that, they wouldn't have the great line of Sam saying, Sir, you came out of the gate? Uh, not exactly. Yes, that was pretty much it. I wonder if that line was written first. Probably. And we get the general looking up at the gate. Yes. <laughs> the possibilities. Oh, yeah. It also sets it up for so many times the gate can be down, be stolen, be destroyed, etc. <laughs> yes, it does, yep. And that was Solitude. One of the better episodes of the first season of Stargate SG-1. I do agree. No surprise, it was written by Brad Wright. It was one of the cornerstone episodes building the mythology. While we didn't get any advanced alien races like the Asgard or anything like that, or the Nox, we did get the idea that pretty much cemented that the gate network is huge. It's been around a long, long time. Two gates on Earth opens up, as you've said, incredible possibilities of what's been going on in the past. We'll learn more about that with the Ancients and the few episodes where we have interactions with that time period. <laughs> I wonder, and this is just me coming from doing D&D related campaigns and creating those four characters. I wonder how much of the decision they made to do things further with the Ancients had already been planned out. Or is it just like, well, we want to go here eventually. We'll film the details and get there eventually. or well, I know we want to have, you know, the Ancients as this great race, have Atlantis, have, you know, colonies and settlements throughout the galaxy. You know, how much was planned out beforehand? 
I would like to think a lot. In reality, probably not. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like how much does an author have the breakdown of his story in his mind before he starts writing? It's the same thing. I say some authors have said, you know, the story's kind of written itself. I didn't know where it was going until I got there. Yeah. Others have said, you know, they've got the layout already penned down, publishers already seen it, they've signed off on it, and then you just fill everything in. Mm-hmm. As we said, there's lots of jumping off points. Aliens on Earth, multiple stargates, different religions and cultures on different planets. It all gives you a jumping off point for different writers to tell different stories while still staying in the basic sandbox. Yeah. Either way, it all worked out pretty well. It, it did quite well. I definitely liked it all. Excellent, then. Okay, folks, that was Solitudes. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the Stargate Archives. If everything goes according to plan, the next episode will be Tin Man. Although we are going to be jumping around a bit, some of the guests will be picking episodes all over the place. We are not going to stick to the regular production order or broadcast order on this podcast, unlike the Gatecast, which we did. Okay. That's it. I mean, Alan came on a few months back and he did Midway. That was an episode he never Mm. could on the Gatecast. Yeah. So you could put together a supercut of episodes together if you wanted to to make an entire plot arc work. I could do. There's pretty much no restrictions to this one. This podcast I'm doing just because I want to. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it's not a, a weekly repeating no, thing. No, that puts pressure on me. I'm, <laughs> I'm not having that. <laughs> no, record when I want, release when I want. That works out well. Okay, Thomas, thank you very much for joining me for this episode. Uh, it's been a new experience and been a fun one at that. I certainly hope you'll return for a few more episodes, however long the Stargate archives last. I can definitely foresee this in the future. Excellent. If anybody else wants to join me, just drop me a line and let me know. You can find us at stargatearchives.com. Our email address is stargatearchives at gmail.com. We've retained at the Gatecast on Twitter and Google Plus and Facebook. Do a search for Stargate or Gatecast and you'll find us. Some social media lets you change handles, some don't, but... uh, Gatecast had built up quite a following, and so name recognition. Indeed. Are you listed on iTunes under Gatecast or under the... Stargate Archives. Stargate Archives. Yep. A brand new iTunes listing, independent RSS feed if you want to manually add the podcast to a catcher as well. Excellent. Okay then, Thomas. How does anybody get in touch with you if they want to? Well, if they wish, they may find me on Facebook. I'm on the Gatecast page now and again. Um, you can hit me up on Twitter. It's C-O-N-F-I-N-F-A-N-T-R-Y. Probably the best two ways to reach out. Excellent. Hope you join us next week. Again, please let me know if you want to join me. I'd love to get some fresh blood on the podcast. It's always useful to have a different look at some of the episodes we've seen before. But until then, I've been Mike. And Thomas. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.